back here. Uh, why don't you go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 11, 22 to 26. We just have a very short, uh, sweet message this morning uh, that I hope, hopefully will encourage your prayer life. Uh, the title of the message is The Two Keys to Effective Prayer. Two Keys to Effective Prayer. And so we, first we want to go ahead and just back up just a bit in verse 20. I'll read there and then uh, we'll get into it. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you have cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have every, anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. And then in verse 26, which is not in the earlier manuscripts, but uh, is repeated in Matthew. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. So the first point I want to make is that Jesus is illustrating the power of prayer. So if you remember, this is Holy Week. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He kind of goes back and forth. He goes to the Mount of Olives and he goes into the temple. He goes to the temple just briefly after the triumphal entry. He goes back to the Mount of Olives and then he makes his way back down. And on the way to the temple, he sees a fig tree and he expects there to be fruit on it. And then he doesn't see that. So as a way of illustration, he curses the fig tree and then he goes into the temple he cleanses the temple, removes all the distractions out of the temple because that was meant to be a place of what? A place of prayer, a meeting with God. And they distract the, the people mainly in the Gentile region or the Gentile quarters of the temple, which is even more uh, of, of just a sign of um, a distortion of the temple, of, of distracting people to know who God is and just seeing the hypocrisy in the Jewish people. And so Jesus cleanses the temple as a sign of judgment, and then he leaves the temple and on his way, uh, we see this, that, that Peter notices, he says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you have cursed is withered. In other words, your words, they, they, they're powerful, they work. Um, and it's just pointing out the obvious as Peter normally does in that sense. He, um, but the whole point of that was that Jesus, to us, as we landed, I can believe it was two weeks ago that we talked about this, but there's really, when Jesus comes to our life, will he, find, will he find faith? Will he find faith in our life? Will he find fruitfulness on our life? Because it's quite alarming what Jesus has done to a fig tree. And it's meant to be symbolic in saying that if we ultimately are like that fig tree who call ourselves Christians, who are supposed to have fruit, who, have an, who there's an expectation of there being fruit on our lives. In other words, if we just look at the survey, the room right now, we're, we're all here for church. Let's just fast forward maybe, you know, 40 years from now. We're all in our older age and, Je and we're about to die. And Jesus looks at our life, right? And he looks at us and says, do I, f do I see any fruit or do I find faith on your life? It's a big deal. And ultimately, 
there will be a curse. You might say, like, well, how does, how does Jesus curse us? I mean, Jesus came to bless us. He came to die for us. But if Jesus comes to your life at the, at the very end of it, as you stand before him, and we've called ourselves a Christian, we've gone through all the motions, we've done church, will he find fruit on your life? And if not, we ultimately go through the, the curse of all curses, which is hell itself. That is the curse. And if, we, if he finds ourselves, it's just like when Matt, he says in Matthew 7, one of the most terrifying verses in all of scripture, I'd make an argument for that, that there's these people that come to him on the last day and, and Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you iniquity, uh, uh, pract- who th- those who practice iniquity, those who, as a way of life, they practice sin. But yet these same people are the people that are confessing all the religious activities that they've done. Some like pretty big ones that you and I probably don't do on a regular basis, like cast out demons, heal the sick, prophesy, some big heavy things. And so he gets, he shows his disciples as a way of illustration saying that a couple of things. One, I want to make sure that you guys have fruit on your life. I want to make sure that you have faith. And then also as a whale of illustration is showing the power of prayer, the power of our words, the power of, if, I, if we go to God, he's, he's using this as a way of saying, hey, I just simply spoke to this tree and it withered and died and therefore will never produce anything ever again. And they're saying, that's amazing. And so he pauses and says, hey, time out. I just want to show you guys the power of prayer. And the reason why, even in the midst of this kind of random passage, he begins to talk about prayer because he's about to leave. And how many of you know, how many of you actually believe Jesus when he says, it is better that I leave so that I give you the Holy Spirit? And that when he says, ask anything in my name, according to my will, my Father's will, and it'll be done, to you, done for you. He's giving them a way. He's saying, like, this is going to be a part of your life. And as you fast forward to the book of Acts, they were actually seeing this kind of stuff. I mean, their, their mere shadows were healing people. The, 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 the incredible power, sheer, raw God power that was on these guys' lives to, to affirm, to authenticate the message of Christ, to authenticate the gospel. I mean, they must have easily gone back to that moment. You know, the time when they're going up to the temple, literally what they just did just moments ago. And this, this man, Peter and John, right? Remember, he goes up and, and, the, and the man's sitting there by the, by the gate and he's crippled. He can't do anything. He's asking for money. And he said something like this, right? Silver and gold I don't have. But in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he got up and walked. I would imagine as he went back to this passage, he looked and said that Jesus was right. John, I mean, it's incredible. It works. He says, if, if, if I just, just my, my words, my prayers, they, they work, they have this kind of power. And Jesus then goes into, he says, have faith in God. And, and the, 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 first, the first power, the first key goes without saying the first key to effective prayer is faith. It's faith. The second key, which we won't spend as much time, so about 75% of the time we'll, sp- we'll, we'll break down what faith is and where there's two subparts to that. 
But then the second, the second key is forgiveness. It's a little weird, and we'll explain what we mean by that. But it's forgiveness. So the first one is faith. The first key to effective prayer contains faith, faith towards God, and then forgiveness towards others. Faith towards God. And what do we mean by that? Where does faith actually come from? How do we get faith? I mean, all these faith people, you know, the people on TV, they're always like, you just got to have more faith. You got to have more faith. They're even telling you, you know what? I've heard horror, horror stories of people, family members of, of dying of cancer and then eventually they die and then something, someone stupid in the family says something like this, like, hey, if you, just had a, if you just had more faith, they would be healed. Such burden on the people. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about that kind of faith. In fact, he's not talking about, he's not putting the burden on you. The burden is not on man here. There's nothing to do with that. We can get all caught up into that, how we can conjure up faith and whip it up into shape, so to speak, with more music and more whatever feelings and stuff like that. He's not talking about that. He said, have faith in God because he says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, cast into the sea and does not doubt, but believes, has faith, that what he says is going to happen. It will happen. He will grant, God will give that person his wish. Well, how do we get that though? How do we get that kind of faith that God would answer? By remembering. Faith comes by hearing, right? By hearing what? The word concerning Christ. There's two points I want to make. There's two subpoints, And one is remembering and the other one is rehearsing, remembering what God has done. So we got to go back to Deuteronomy 4.10, 5.15, 2. If you want to write those down, you can, I mean, there, there's, I had to cut back probably 20 verses. And many of you are like so thankful for that. <laughs> but I will give you them for homework. And so Deuteronomy 4.10, 5.15, and 8.2, they just simply say the same thing. But you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Just pause and think about that. Pause and think about even the spiritual implications of that. And what God has done in your life. When you hit, when uh, the mountain is meant to be a hyperbole, okay? It's not, it's meant to be an illustration. We're not just like hanging out in mountain ranges, you know, just be like trying to move Mount Everest from one side to the other side. I mean, it's kind of weird, right? And atheists love that passage because they think, okay, if Jesus said it, go to the mountain, tell it to move, you know? And so that's not at all what Jesus is trying to say. We know that. So what is he trying to say? He says, go back to the scriptures. If you want, go to the mountains. Fine, go to the mountains, have a retreat, but remember what God has done. That's how you're gonna see faith begin to grow in your life. What has he done in your life? When you see the mountain, the proverbial mountain in front of you, you're like, this is impossible. I have no idea how God's gonna move this thing. I have no idea how he's gonna heal my sickness, heal somebody else's sickness, provide this kind of cash for this, whatever this is, or whatever it might be, or save this person. I have no idea. The, my grandma's on, the, on her deathbed. I don't know how God's going to save her. She's incoherent. God, would you move? How in the world do you get that kind of faith when it, all you're doing is staring at the impossibility? How? 
You got to go back to the scriptures. It's not a song that you can sing. It's not whipping up emotion. It is going to the scriptures. It's saying, God, show me again how big you are and how small that little thing is. I need to see again. I need your perspective. It's amazing how in, um, in Psalm 77, Asaph, he, he despaired, but then he recalled God's acts. He started to get depressed. He started to get like, I, I, I don't even know. What, I'm just thinking about all the problems in front of me and it's getting me anxious. And then he says, you know what? There's, there's another way. And he says this, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I'll meditate on your work and muse on your deeds. They'll think, you'll muse, I'll think about your deeds. I'll begin to rehearse them. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are God who works wonders. Do you believe that? He works wonders and made known your strength among the peoples. That just encouraged him. He's like, I'm no longer in despair. Why? His circumstances never changed. Have you ever noticed that like, God doesn't just quickly just change your circumstances. All of a sudden, okay, now I have faith. He wants you to be in a place where you're contending and believing based on history. There's, you remember that song that like, I forgot what song that was, some, some song we don't sing anymore, but I got history. I got history go way, way back. I don't really know what the, it doesn't even matter. I just, sometimes that comes to me like, okay, I, you you got to go way back, maybe even back, like I've been a Christian for 22 years, going back to that moment when I'm in my dorm room and I'm like, I am lost soul and I want to be, I want to be out of college. I don't want to be in college. I'm 18 years old. And grab my Bible, grab, out, grab the track that my cousin gave me in, when I went to Los Angeles as a graduation gift from high school and I look at that thing and I get saved. That's a miracle. How many people you know just read the Bible and they're still lost? How many people you know you've given tracts overseas and they're still lost? I mean, many. The majority I would make an argument for, right? It's amazing, the miracle, just the miracle of salvation. I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm okay. And then you just start to rehearse other, hey, my wife got saved. I'm not married to an unbeliever. That's a miracle in itself. And it's a miracle that the Lord saved her. She probably thinks it's a miracle that the Lord saved me, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is the bigger miracle? You decide. Uh, <laughs> but it's a miracle nonetheless. nonetheless. Yes, we all know the answer. Psalm 105, remember his, wonders, remember his wonders, which he has done, his marvels, the judgments over and over and over and to rehearse the scriptures then, to go back and to even see the, not even just the, the remembering the acts in your own life, but just even going back to the scriptures and looking at Isaiah 53, which is the summit of the Old Testament of seeing Christ 700 years before he came, prophesied, and then he fulfilled that. That's enough. He's like, he doesn't need to do anything more in your life other than to show you that and you believe it. That's a miracle. It's amazing. Romans 15, 4 says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for what? Our instruction. The Bible's for you. The Bible is for us so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. If you don't have any hope, go to the Bible. Go to the Bible. There's, there's nothing else that could satisfy that place as Ecclesiastes says, that hole in your heart. But the Bible, 
but the scriptures. Of course, the presence of God is there. He's real. It's not, we're not having a relationship with a book. We have a relationship with the person who wrote a book. We have a relationship with him and he can fulfill those places. So faith towards God is, is a way that God answers our prayers, but we, ha- we need a way to get that faith. And God shows us. So what does faith actually look like? Demonstrated. When we finally have faith, when we finally are being stirred by the scriptures, how does, how does faith manifest as it relates to prayer? There's two subpoints to that. One is confidence and sincerity. Confidence and sincerity. When you read the Bible, you, you don't come out of the closet, out of the, you know, Matthew 6, 6, right? Out of the close, you know, you, you, you spend time with God in the quiet place, your dorm room or whatever. You close the door, you spend time with God privately. It's not a parade, you're not parading to all, everybody else around and how you're spending time with God. But you get something from the Lord in the quiet place, from the scriptures. And when, when you leave that place, you're not leaving uh, feeling hopefully discouraged. You're not feeling uh, a lack of confidence. You should have more confidence and, you, and, you, and from that place, you pray whatever it is that is, that is like a, maybe a mountain or maybe something, you know, like a little hill, a, a molehill. You know, some, of the, some prayers are easy, right? It's like, okay, God, you're gonna do that. I have so much faith, I believe that. And then you kind of work your way up to maybe, you know, Mount Everest. And you're like, well, I don't know. If you're like, I don't know about that, get back to the scriptures quickly. Does that make sense? Some are easy. Some are like, okay, I got this, no big deal. But then some, as you think about it a little bit more on your prayer list, you're like, okay, now we're climbing Mount Everest now. I need more scripture. The higher you go, the higher the problem, the, the lower your knees got to go, the lower your, your body has to go. Amen? So you're getting lower, even though that seems high. And eventually, it's weird how this works. But in the supernatural realm, you are actually higher than the mountain when you walk out of the closet. Amen? It's always like that thing is like, that thing looked like Mount Everest. How in the world does that thing look like a little anthill? Like the Florida-sized anthills. You, see, you know what I'm talking about. It looks like that. And so next time you're going for a prayer walk, just look at that little thing because we got no mountains to look at here. So that's about the only mountain that we have, right? <laughs> Which is, you know, so like as you're looking at that thing, you're like, man, this is easy. This is nothing. This is no big deal. This is nothing. Now, we pray with confidence and sincerity because even though, caveat, parentheses, our faith still might be weak. God still answers these prayers in faith even though there might be a percentage or a mixture of weakness. There, is a, there, there always is. Our faith is never perfect. He's not looking for perfect faith here. Now, what does he mean by when he says this? In verse 23, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes, who does not doubt in his heart. That reminds me of James 1, 6 to 8. He says, he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded man and stable in all his ways. Now, it's kind of discouraging in a way. So what is he saying here? How do we make sense of that passage, the one we're looking at, and then also Mark 9, 22 to 24, where it says, but if you ask anything, or if, if or it says, wait, excuse me, it says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This is from the man who had the boy who was demon possessed. He's like, hey, if you could do anything, just please do something, have pity on me. And Jesus catches him and says, what? Wait, hold on a second. If you can, do you know who you're talking to? Do you have any idea who you're talking to? 
Like, that's just kind of weird when you think about it. I mean, how often do we do this in our prayers? We're talking to the Lord and we're like, you know, if you, Lord, if you just can do anything, if you could just, sometimes I hear people even out loud kind of like say, like, oh, if it even is possible, Lord, if it's just possible, could you just take that away? And I know this, there is a level of humility and we'll get to that in a moment. And it, it, prayers need to be prayed a certain way by his will, not our will. But, but it's, it is kind of weird to look at the Lord physically and to say, if you can. He says, all things are possible, again, for him who believes. Now listen, this is so key. Immediately the boy's father cried out, says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And we, we studied this passage in recent weeks. What is he saying? I mean, there, that, did, did Jesus answer his prayer? Did he say, okay, look, there's a mixture here. I am so sorry. I will come back tomorrow and see if the mixture is gone. No. This encourages me because we do need to ask in faith. James is saying that. Jesus is saying that as well. He's affirming that we do need to believe when we pray, but there's going to be a mixture. And there's so many times, I'll tell you what God is looking for is sincerity. He's looking for confidence. Yes, I believe. And you know what? When you have that faith, like I believe God is gonna move this mountain. I don't care what it is. Praise God, that is his grace towards you. But there are times where you're like, man, I just don't, I'm, I don't quite have that confidence. I believe, but it's mixed. If you're honest, it's mixed. And what God is saying is, hold on there. Continue to come back. Don't run away. Because he's like, you're, it's easy for man to be like, okay, I, I'm going to come back when it's not mixed. So I'm going to go look at some YouTube videos and just kind of relax a little bit. And then I'll come back uh, when, when it's not mixed. No. Yeah, you could go back to the scriptures, but it's never going to be perfect just like how you want it. Perfectionists don't do well in the prayer closet. Neither do skeptics. We need to go to the quiet place and say, God, I believe. I'm here because I believe that you can do something. I'm just not quite sure how you're going to do it. (laughs) I'm just not quite sure when you're going to do it. I don't know what's going to happen. If I'm honest, I still have a little doubt here because the problem in this relationship is not you, it's me. That's where you come. You come to the place where you don't need great faith. You just need faith in a great God. You need faith. He's, he's the bigger one in this relationship. He, he's, he's the one that can handle all the big burdens of like the entire world. The entire world. It's amazing when you think about that. Just think, sometimes I need to go outside and I need to think how big this globe is. I need to have globes around my house just to see how, like this is just one aspect of the entire universe that we live in. And the globe, and then you just, you know, zoom in on the United States, zoom in again on Florida, zoom again on Oviedo, zoom again in my neighborhood, zoom again on one person in my household. And it's like, he can handle mine, but he can handle the whole world. That just helps my faith. It stirs me again. It's like, he's got this, but I still am weak. And we need to admit that. Prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. Prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. It just means all-powerful. And all, it's weakness is our weakness leaning on an all-powerful God. 
When you go into the prayer closet, just know that that's what's happening. You're leaning on an all-powerful living God. God is not looking for man's perfect faith. He's looking for someone to trust him with a little and eventually he will grow in their faith and become more confident in that, being sincere. Richard Sibb says this, God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. Don't you love that? Have you ever felt confused in your prayer life? You're like, I just lost like 10 minutes. I'm not sure if I was praying, thinking, sleeping. I don't know what the heck that was. And God somehow can make sense of that. (laughs) Amen. John Bunyan says, it is in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Isn't that good? It's written in the 1600s. It's still relevant today. The best prayers often have more groans than words. And that's from Romans 8.26, that the Holy Spirit will, will lead us into prayer and he knows exactly what we need to pray even before it, we utter it out of our mouth. Samuel Rutherford, another Puritan in the 1600s, says this, God looks not at the elegancy of your prayers to see how neat they are, nor yet at the geometry of our prayers to see how long they are, nor at the arithmetic of our prayers to see how many they are, nor at the music of our prayers, nor at the sweetness of your voice, nor at the logic of your prayers, but at the sincerity of your prayers and how hearty they are. There is no prayer acknowledged, approved, accepted, recorded, or rewarded by God, but the prayers that have a heart which is sincere and whole. That's what he's looking for. You don't have to be fancy like those Pharisees, long, drawn out, flowery. It just has to be sincere and with your whole heart. He'll make sense of all of it. He's okay. He's, he, wants to, he wants you to know that um, he, he understands the weaknesses in our faith and even in our language, how we pray. The second point, our sub-point to that is that what does faith look like? It, faith looks like it boldly asking. We need to actually ask. We cannot just keep it inside. Even though he knows what we want, even though he knows what we need, we need to verbalize that. He wants us to verbalize that. His glory is at stake in that because when we are even utter our, our request, even to our friends and family, when they get answered, people's faith grows in the community. Amen? So boldly asking and then keep asking, right? So we ask, we got to boldly ask, and then we got to keep asking, which is perseverance, but here's the key, little parentheses, caveat, is that we, it must be surrendered to God's will. It must be surrendered to his will. James 4.2 says you, you don't have because you don't ask. I love that. It's just like one of those gut punches. It's like you complain, you're like, man, ooh, oh, you know, like you're frustrated. And then God's like, you're not asking. Ah, like that's that simple? Yes, <laughs> it's that simple. Like you need to ask. Matthew 7, 7 to 11 says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and he who knocks on the door will be open. Or what man is there among you who had, when he, his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? I love this. Or if he asks for a fish, will he not, will he not give him a snake? Will he, or will he give him a snake, will he? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him. It's, it's the argument from the lesser to the greater. We're, we're just humans. We would never do that to our kids. 
we'd be put in jail for like feeding our kids like scorpions and snakes, you know? It's like, it wouldn't be a good idea. But so the lesser to the greater, how much more would God, is God going to answer our prayers if our earthly fathers have given us good things? It's meant to stir faith, but it's also meant to say, ask, don't keep it to yourself. Don't just complain, and not, but ask. And then those complaints will dwindle down because now you'll see that God is answering these prayers. But how, how many of you know that it's not guaranteed? It's not guaranteed. I know you're thinking, you're like, okay, I'm logically tracking with you, but so many of my prayers have not been answered. Like I've done the sincerity thing. I've done the reading of scripture thing. I've done the, the confidence. I'm, I'm confident. I know, I'm confident. I know God can do it. And I'm even asking and I'm keep asking. Maybe for one, maybe God has not answered that prayer uh, because it's not his timing yet. Or perhaps it's not according to his will. And that's the hardest one, right? James 4, 3, and 15 says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That could be a reason. We ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. 1 John five fourteen: the confidence which we have before him, we ask anything according to his will and he hears us. And then John 14 and 16 says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask and it'll be done for you. I mean, all these, I mean, this is meant to stir our faith. God's gonna do it. He's gonna, he's going to answer our prayer. But there are times, for whatever reason, I love this model. Literally, Jesus modeled everything I'm talking about right and everything he's praying, everything he taught his, his students, his disciples, he models in this perfect prayer in Mark 14, 36. Now listen, everything that he said, faith, surrendered. He, he kept asking. He asked like three times, watch. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. This is, we're gonna get here in a, in a few years. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Listen, isn't that awesome? All things are possible for you. That is the model. Abba, first of all, Father, he's our Father. All things are possible. And then he asks, he's like, please remove this cup from me. I don't want to die this death. There's nothing, that, that part does not give any man pleasure to go through what he did. This time he's sweating blood. He's under such stress. But then he added, yet not what I will but what you will. That's like the perfect prayer. Jesus is not telling us to do certain things and then not living it, or he's telling us to do certain things and not living it out, is he? He's saying, look, this is how you pray and then he will model that perfectly. And what happened? God did answer his prayer in one sense. Maybe he, that's not the way he really, his flesh part, the human side of him did not want to do that. But ultimately he said, your will be done. That's a prayer. And Jesus answered that. Our God answered that for him. That's incredible. We don't always look at it that way. Fully confident, believing, but yet surrendered. That's how we pray. Confident, 
trusting God. Ephesians 3.20, you could do above and beyond. We, he could, you could ever ask or, we could ever ask or dream. He's gonna do it. Fully confident, knowing. Like, do you ever have that? Like, just, I know, I know that I know. But yet, so surrendered. If he doesn't do it this way, no big deal. Because in one sense, he has answered the prayer. And we get to be a part of that. All right, and point number two, effective prayer contains forgiveness towards others. Ways to pray, it says here uh, in verse 25, it says, whenever you stand praying, we can stand praying. I don't know if you, you know, you don't have to always be on your knees, but scripture says that you can stand. There's many scriptures for that. Kneel, 2 Chronicles 6, 3, Psalm 95, 6, et cetera. Prostrate, you can lay prostrate. Sometimes I've done that where I'm just like desperate. I'm like, Lord, you've got to help. You know, like I feel like the more, the, the greater the need, the lower just physically you, you go. It just helps. Hands lifted. You know, people, Psalms talk about that as well. Psalm 28, uh, Lamentations 219. Hands lifted, pray. I mean, it, there's no right way. You don't, no one's judging anybody, but even in the room when we're, when we're worshiping, it's a form of prayer. Uh, people are doing many different things, but in your own time with the Lord, just know that the Lord is giving us different ways to pray even our, with our physical bodies. So what is he saying here? This is kind of a confusing passage, or at least it can be. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. What is he saying? Is he saying that, uh, that if, you, if you forgive, then you'll receive salvation? And if you don't forgive, you'll lose salvation? No, we, we know that. I mean, there's people that might be confused uh, in evangelism context or, or perhaps thinking that this is some sort of weird work salvation or works righteousness. No, of course not. That's nothing to do with that. In fact, I can read off a slew of verses, naming one, Titus 3, 5 to 7. I mean, salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone. We know that. It's grace. Can't earn that. So what is he talking about? What is he saying? He's saying that, look, if you, if you have received forgiveness from God and you're truly saved, then you're gonna forgive others. You're not gonna have any, this is like a, you know, 1 John 1, 9 talks about if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's talking about fellowship He's not talking about the, that we need to confess our sins daily because somehow we gotta, we gotta continue. It's like a, the, maybe the Catholics believe, you know, they, they have to do the daily mass. We have to continue to go through the whole ceremonial thing to, to, to make sure that our sins are forgiven. No, our sins are forgiven once and for all at the cross, past, present, and future, period. This is, this is for fellowship. That if your prayers contain offenses, towards your brother, they will not be answered. It is a way of God's discipline saying, are you kidding me? You mean to tell me that I've forgiven you of the greater debt, this massive debt, remember Matthew 18, that big debt the man owed? He says, you're gonna go to prison for the rest of your life and be tormented. He says, I will forgive you in this. That man got up from that massive debt, millions of dollars that were, was, was, he was freed from and walked and saw a friend that owed him a small debt and said, you owe me this. Give this to me. 
Otherwise, I'll put you in prison. And someone found out about that. You can read this fully in Matthew 18. Someone found out about that and said, how dare you? You were forgiven of this massive debt. You did all this sin in your life and God forgave you and erased your debt. You going scot-free for the rest of your life and all of eternity. And you mean to tell me you can't forgive this poor soul in front of you? You're gonna harbor this offense? And what did he do? Took that man, put him in prison and says, and he took the tormentors, which are, are demons. And he was demonically oppressed through the rest of his earthly life until he forgave that person. That's what he's talking about. That's the parallel passage. It's pretty heavy stuff. Maybe, just maybe, perhaps your prayers aren't being answered because you lack faith and you're not in the scriptures and you're looking at the mountain. Or perhaps maybe your prayers aren't being answered because you got a bunch of offense in your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't, don't do that. Ephesians 4.32, forgive each other just as what? God in Christ has forgiven you. Just think. Not only do you need to rehearse all the amazing things that God has done in the scriptures and the testimony. Nicole and I, for years, we just kept a journal of the amazing things that God has done. I put that in a book eventually. Just, that's just one portion of our life. I just, there's so many and I, I need to remember those stories and that does stir my faith, but that's not enough. It's not enough. He's saying also, if you have for unforgiveness towards people and you have bitterness towards people, I'm not gonna answer your prayer because you and I, we, we don't have fellowship here. That's a big deal. Psalm 66, 18, if, if I regard wickedness or unforgiveness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. You can't get more clear than that. Job, 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 Job 27, 8, 9. What, <laughs> what is the hope of the godless when he is cut off? Will God hear his cry? No, no, he will not. We're only fooling ourselves. So I think it's good for us to just pause and say, God, I, I mean, his power is at your disposal. I mean, it's crazy how much power God has to, to move in your life. The problem is not with him. The problem is on our side. It's either a lack of faith towards God or it's a lack of forgiveness towards each other. And I think it would definitely behoove us to stop and have a choice here. We either hold a grudge, we either hold a grudge, or we have our prayers answered. What do you want, church? Only fools would pick the first part. Our, our lives, really, if you're, we're completely honest, cannot afford to have our prayers being hindered. Of what's going on in the world right now, of what's happening on a daily basis, it'd be the wisest thing in the world to just pause and say, God, just clear out any clutter, either clutter with you or clutter with people because we got to get this thing right so that my prayers would be answered. J.C. Rowell says, faith, of course, is essential to the success of prayers and no prayers can be heard that which do not come from a forgiving heart. He understood that it's both, it's faith and prayer. 
forgiveness. Why does he say that? Because you know what, church, you know the, the, the three or four things that would kill our faith with God and kill and destroy our relationship, destroy this church. This will, dest- it will destroy this church. These things will destroy this church. Never forget it. Anger, which really comes from, uh, uh, you know, unforgiveness and offense. People get angry at each other and hold that in them, a grudge. Unbelief, immorality, and greed destroy our church. Immorality, sexual immorality, that will kill you, will destroy you in the church. Greed will destroy you. Anger will destroy try, try, try to pray when you're angry. Try to pray when, uh, when, you're, when you have lustful thoughts. Try praying. It's impossible, isn't it? Try praying when you're offended with somebody. Try praying for them, for their good. It's impossible. It just destroys your prayer life. Destroys the church, ultimately your hunger, your witness. I love what Austin Phelps says in the 1800s. He said this, had God not said, blessed are those that hunger, I know not what could keep we Christians from sinking in despair. You know, he he says many times, all I could do is complain that I want him and wish to recover him. In other words, if God had not said, blessed are the hunger, aren't you hungry for a renewed prayer life? for God to stir faith in you. I know I need that. I'm I'm like the most unqualified person. It makes me uncomfortable to talk about prayer. That's why I'm doing my dissertation on prayer this next year. It's just to force me to say, you know what, this stuff matters. This is the bullseye of our church. We get this wrong, we get everything wrong. Sure, it'd be easier to do some other fancy thing, but we need to up in prayer. But I'll tell you, these two things will hinder it. Our lack of faith towards God and our lack of forgiveness towards others. Let me just illustrate uh, one last story here and then we can close. It was, uh, I got a letter in the mail from my seminary that was talking about the, the, these leaders in Ukraine. There's a man named Alexander who was in the Ukrainian army and he was in the uh, battalion A. He had tattoos all over his fingers, all over his arms. And they were the guys that were holding off the, the Russians from invading uh, Maripol. If you remember that, the Ukrainians were winning for some time. And then, of course, they, they had to be pulled back. Uh, this man got uh, two concussions. Alexander got two concussions. He eventually uh, had to uh, be discharged from the army and go into some sort of rehabilitation center. <clears throat> Some Christians picked him up. One guy by the name of Nikolai just said, hey, I, I want to take you under my wing, bring you to my church. Uh, this man had seven kids and many grandkids uh, and, and just said, okay, Alexander, uh, while you're being uh, healed, I, I'd love you to do these, this, these amount of things for his church. They were rebuilding the church and uh, they had lots of stuff going on. And then the Russians began to, uh, Russian forces began to come in with vengeance and they needed to leave in the middle of the night uh, and there was enough room for, for 
Nikolai and his, uh, his, his grandkids and his kids, and uh, they, they got all in their, in their van or their, their car and uh, all their belongings, everything that they had, they were headed towards Western Ukraine. They had to go through several checkpoints and Alexander said, if you don't take me, the Russians will find me and they will kill me because they can tell that I'm a part of the Battalion A that, they were, that was trying to hold back uh, from Russian occupation in Maripol. They're gonna kill me. So I need to be, I need to be put in your car, or in your vehicle at risk, risking your whole family. They could potentially even kill all of us. So they prayed like never before. They got in there. They went through their first checkpoint. They got to the first checkpoint and the Russian guards who were occupying that area told them, hey, we need to see what's in your trunk. We need to see everything. And the guy's like, look, trust me. There's only luggage there. He's like, get out of your car. I need to see what's going on in the back. So they go in the back, lifted up the trunk. Alexander's like strung out like this, like pushed, you know, you can only imagine this, pushed in between luggage. I mean, it's clearly a man that's right there. He says, the Russian soldier says nothing about it, says, all right, that was good. Just close the trunk, get out of here. Then he goes to the next checkpoint. He said, uh, all right, same thing, same routine. He's like, there is no way possible I'm gonna get through a second checkpoint. But Lord, <laughs> you can do it. And so sure enough, gets out of the car, does the routine, opens the trunk. Alexander's sitting there smiling. And, you know, and uh, Russian soldiers, he's trying to not look like dumbfounded, right? I mean, because he doesn't want to give it away. It's not like, like obvious, you know, he's like, okay, I'm getting back in my car and I'm driving off. They make it to Western Ukraine. They finally get there with so many other refugees. Uh, and this man was now, uh, Alexander's been healed of his concussions and he's soon to be married now uh, on that side. So praise God. But I just thought it was a great illustration of just seeing both faith and forgiveness working. And how he had to overcome the, 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 just the trials and the, against the Russian. Can you imagine how much, um, how much offense that the, the, uh, the Ukrainians have got to have towards their Russian brothers? But yet he just, total forgiveness. He just, I can't have, I can't harbor offense in my heart. God can do a work in their life. Not only that, but just even having the faith, although coupled with what? With weakness, with unbelief. And God can do amazing things like that. Amen? Why don't we, why don't we pray and then we'll worship. Father, thank you so much for, for what you're doing uh, all around the world, just even what you're doing in, in Ukraine. Father, thank you that, uh, that this, this man was rescued and fought for his country, a brave 